All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Jared Beck. Jared is the managing director and co-founder of Risk Management Advisors. He offers a unique perspective on risk management and insurance strategies in manufacturing and his insights on self-insurance and captives for reducing the costs of providing group health benefits greatly benefit manufacturers. So Jared, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So share with us uh, some of your background and what led you to doing what you're doing in the industry. Yeah, you bet. I started my career in financial services on the financial planning side. I thought I wanted to be an investment advisor and was going down that, that path. And then my partner and I discovered this concept or this strategy called captive insurance companies. And we'll get into what that is. But when we discovered this and started digging in, it was so fascinating to us as this multidisciplinary Swiss army knife tool, if you will, that could help business owners in so many different ways. So we decided to make that the focus of our of our planning efforts and our career. And so in 2004, we started a company called Risk Management Advisors. And basically what we do is design, implement, and, and manage these types of strategies for, for our business owner clients and Fast forward, here we are today, one of the one of the largest in the world at doing it. Okay. So can you explain the concept of captives and how they can be particularly beneficial for manufacturers when managing risks? Yeah, you bet. So at, at a base level, a captive insurance company is an insurance company that a business sets up to insure their own risks. So it's a licensed, regulated insurance company, but it's captive in the sense that it's for you, your employees, your family of companies to lower your overall cost of insurance. For example, if you set up a captive, you couldn't go out and sell auto insurance to you or me because we're unrelated to the business. We don't, we're just consumers. It has to be insurance within the ecosystem of your business. And the main motivations for doing it are there's two. So one is you've got businesses that are spending high dollars on traditional insurance coverages and the cost is either getting out of hand or they have good losses, good experience, good risk relative to everybody else. And then so the insurance companies are profiting big time off of their, off of their premium. And the idea is let me put that underwriting profit back in my pocket. Why am I spending money subsidizing everybody else's bad risk? Let me put some of those dollars back in my pocket. And then the other factor is, you know, sometimes you just can't get insurance for what you need. There's not coverage out there. And so captives provide this bridge or this gateway to provide capacity, to provide coverage that otherwise maybe is not available or is inadequate to, to cover your needs. So it sounds like it's completely personalized to one organization and giving them focusing on what they need. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And, there, and there's different ways to go about it. There are group captive structures out there where businesses can join in an existing insurance company and partner with other similar businesses. Okay. And those are great models. 
what we tend to focus on is working what you were getting at is just a single employer and saying, hey, what are your needs? What's your pain point? And then what can we design that that is just yours, that you control it, you own it, you can customize it and have it cover and address the your specific issues. So that that tends to be our focus in what we do. Interesting. So you mentioned self-insurance a a couple times too. So how does self-insurance differ from the traditional insurance models? And again, we're looking specifically in man- for manufacturing businesses. Why would they want to do that? Yeah, so I'll make a couple of distinctions. So one, when I describe captives, people will naturally say, oh, that sounds like self-insurance. And, and it is, but it's a formalized version. Self-insurance is basically just, hey, I'm not going to buy insurance for this and I'm going to let it ride. And maybe I set some money aside in a rainy day fund and hope it works out. Um, Captive is a little bit more formal than that. You actually go to the step of forming a corporation, getting it licensed as an insurance company. And the big benefit of doing that is self-insurance. There's no financial benefit to it from the perspective of, let's say I choose to self-insure. And so I didn't spend a million dollars on this particular coverage. Now that million dollars, I didn't spend it. So now it flows down to my bottom line and I have to pay taxes on it. So this gets into a a finance, a tax discussion here. And if you're in California, 37% federal, 11 state. So, you know, that million dollars that you saved by not buying the insurance, you just got cut in half on that. Mm. So if I set up my own insurance company, and I pay the premium over, then I'm still, then it's still a business expense. So now I take that million dollars, it goes into my insurance company, and now it's in that entire million dollars is in there to pay potential claims or to be put back in my put back in my pocket. So it's just it's a more financially efficient way of doing the self-insurance. And, and the other piece of it being that insurance companies get favorable tax treatment under the Internal Revenue Code, they can put money into reserves for incurred but not reported losses, future claims, and and take deductions for that where normal businesses can't. And this gets into such a confusing world of insurance, but from the way my brain is processing, if you are self-insured, basically you have a big bucket of money that's just sitting there because you don't want to buy insurance, and then you get taxed on it. If you go with traditional insurance, you have a package of all kinds of stuff that may or may not fit your specific needs that you are paying for because everybody else is also taking out of that bucket what they need. And if you're going captive, then you're getting the benefits of insurance, but you are, it's personalized to exactly what your company needs. Correct. Yeah. said, And you also get to, you get to keep the spoils. You get to keep the profits, the money that's left over. Whereas in traditional insurance, you pay the premium, sure, you get the expense and you get the coverage, but if your losses are good or if you're a good risk, you're not getting any of that. You're not getting any of that money back. So it's the the concept or the idea of reducing the overall cost of risk, stabilizing. If you're in the traditional market, you're subject to the whims of the market cycles, right? Is insurance expensive today or is it inexpensive? And long-term, the goal with Captive is to take you out of that and facilitate a more stable, predictable cash flow with respect to your insurance. 
Yeah. And insurance, particularly with health insurance, you never know what kind of, uh, how you're going to get dinged every year as far as those costs going up. When it comes to that, you, you touched on it, but is there anything else we should know, particularly about health insurance that would make self-insurance a cost-effective strategy for those group medical benefits? A- absolutely. And, and it's timely that we're doing this and this this may be one of the, this could be a key segment for a lot of your, a lot of your listeners. We've seen a number of companies and, and in the manufacturing, the, the, the blue collar space, gray collar space, take huge hits in terms of premium increases on their health insurance this year, 20%, 30%, 40%, 50% in some cases. And to put that in a dollars context, if you said somebody's got a hundred employees, the, the insurance spend is probably a million dollars. Wow. So when you do a 30% increase on that, okay, that, that's $300,000. We saw one company, they were acquiring, they were in acquisition mode, trying to consolidate, and they had grown to a, about 1,500 employees. That's a, that, that was a, it was a 15 million, $16 million spend. And then when they got the 25% increase, that's the bonus pool. Yeah, that's the 401k match. And these are big, you start talking about big dollars. And we've just been seeing this across the board. And part of the reason is there's a number of new prescription drugs out there. You see the commercials, that stuff's expensive. And then whatever, there was a a lot of deferred treatments in COVID. People didn't really take care of themselves. There's hospitals were closed. You couldn't get surgeries. And so that's all catching up now. So utilization on plans is, is really high. So those are some of the drivers right now, but it's also important for business owners and especially your manufacturing listeners to understand is that if you're in the traditional market, you've also just signed up for a system that is guaranteed, that is designed to cost you more over over time. It's the way the system is designed. And I would say for the risk managers out there, What's the awareness? If you're providing benefits for your employees, like it or not, you're in the insurance business. You have no, you're right. So you have the government requires us as an employer, a large employer to provide benefits to our employees. And you heard the numbers I just threw out, right? So it's probably the second or third biggest spin, maybe after payroll, maybe after cost of goods sold, it's going to be right up there, right? So you're in the insurance business. And if you're just delegating that responsibility to carriers, they do not have your best interests at all. Their goal is to actually pay out more claims, pay out more dollars to the hospitals so they can turn around and raise your rates. Mm. Yeah, Lisa, so you remember when healthcare reform passed several years back? And in that legislation, they said for every dollar that an insurance company takes in, they must pay out 85 cents in claims. They can only keep 15%. Or 15 cents for their expenses, right? Okay. So they thought that would control cost, right? Or we're going to limit their profitability. But, but if I'm the carrier, I don't want to just make 15 cents. I want to make 30 cents. So if I want to make 30 cents, what do I have to do? I have to pay out $2. Then I have to keep okay. growing. So now I want to make 45 cents. If I want to make 45 cents, now I got to pay out $3. You see? That's... Wow. That's the system that, again, if you're in that traditional insurance model, that's what you're signed up for. I'm sure there's, I'm sure you have CFOs and risk managers out there. They get their renewal every year and they're like, ah, they raised my rates. 
but it's right. Like, you know, that's what you've signed up for. And it used to be that was all that was out there, but now it's different. There are self-insured structures where you can exit the traditional market and actually take control, change the mechanism on, on how you pay things and actually control the cost. And so that that's the big thing that I would encourage people to educate themselves on is if you're in this spot, there are, are ways out. You just have to, again, educate, be open to, and be open to new, new ideas. And it all gets back to, in the example I described, if I'm a health insurance company, I'm incentivized to pay a hospital more, right? Over time. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the way Medicare, the federal government does it for their, like Medicare, right? So right. folks of a certain age, everybody gets on Medicare. Medicare doesn't do it that way. They pay a fixed amount regardless of whatever the hospital charges, regardless of whatever the carrier would pay, they pay a set amount and it's multiples less than what these insurance companies are paying. So what we do for what we do for our clients and their captives is we structure it such that now a hospital, they're probably not going to take a government rate, a Medicare rate from a random employer, but they will if you mark it up just a little. If you mark it up just a little, give them some margin in there then they accept 99.9% of the time. And so you don't pay you don't pay a 5x or a 6x premium. You pay a you pay a 1x premium. You, you mark it up a little bit. And, and we have the data on it now. That's the the nice thing with technology and data and then some transparency out there is we know exactly the these companies that we administer this for, we know exactly what to pay to to get those payments to be accepted at the hospitals and that's how you control the costs. If hospitals are used to getting 5X from a traditional insurance company, then why would they only take 1X from you? Yeah, great question. You would think, like, I have a set price for my services, right? It's a set fee, right? I'm sure you have a, when you go to speak, I'm sure you have a set right. a set amount, right? Right. Hospitals, it's, it's completely different. They have an acceptance range. Mm. It's very wide. So you have out here what the carriers pay, 500, 600%, 5X, 6X, normal, like we're talking about. And you have down here what the government pays. We just want to slide right in here. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. because And you think about a hospital system, there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of line items and interactions and, and claims. This is not, there's people that look at it, but a lot of times it's just, that's just, Hey, it falls within the range and it's fairly automated a lot of times. And the thing is, what we'll even do is we'll go in, we've set up direct contracts with hospitals. Like you can contract directly with hospitals without the insurance company. You can, if you want the creature comfort of a, the networks, the names that we're used to, the health insurance companies, they'll rent their, they'll rent their networks of doctors. So it's still, it can still cycle through those networks. But just the way it gets reimbursed or the way it gets paid, we just do it the way I just described. And that's, and the thing is, you only have to get that right a few times because we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hospital setting. And right. That right a few times. Now you go back to your employees and you say, hey, instead of raising deductibles or cutting benefits, I'll make my benefits richer. Let's get rid of office copays, lower deductibles. 
And it's just by solving that that little problem at the hospital. And I think it was interesting over the last couple of years when money was cheap and profits were high, I actually saw some finance people and risk folks a little dismissive of increases. Premium went up. That's okay. We'll just, no distractions. We're printing money over here. But now that interest rates are up, it's a little bit, people are tightening their belt, looking at the margins a little bit more. This stuff's coming home to roost and getting really expensive for people. So I think- I think there's going to be an eye towards, hey, what are these alternatives? What's the next evolution of how I buy health insurance? And going self-insured with an eye towards the strategy I'm describing is it's going to be the future and probably best to adopt sooner rather than later. Yeah. So what are you finding then are some of the common challenges that manufacturers are facing when implementing some of these plans? The biggest challenge is one, just we all get used to a certain way, right? We buy our health insurance company coverage from these five companies, right? These are the options out there. And then so opening, imagining that it could work a different way, (laughs) that that takes its own certain amount of willingness, right? And then I would just say the other piece is education, is if you are going to do something different is one, educating yourself, and then two, being sure to communicate with your employees and the the other stakeholders that, hey, costs are up, unbearably up, and we need to adopt a different strategy. And and it works works a little bit different. And here are the things to understand and and taking, taking those steps. When we've implemented these things, the folks that have taken the time to, you know, say, hey, we're doing something a little different and communicate that to their employees, it goes miles better than companies who they'll look at the spreadsheet, they'll look at the numbers, say, hey, that looks great. Let's let's make it happen. And then there's no advance. Hey, we're changing stuff. And then people are confused and uncertain about it. And so I would say starting early, education is key. And then it, then it can really go pretty smooth. Really, well, any- I'm, assu- oh, go ahead. I'm assuming in changing the way that people are used to doing stuff, you probably have success stuff. Um, stories or case studies with manufacturers that you've used to show what it can look like. Is there one that comes to mind that you helped in like a before and after picture of what you what they were doing, what you helped them to do, and then the results of that? Yeah. Our, our favorite story is probably they were a long-term client of ours. We'd set up a captive insurance company for their for their property and casualty coverages. So for their business insurance. And that had been very successful. This is electronics manufacturer. And then in 2014, they came to us and they said, Jared, our benefits, it's going up and up. It's really expensive. Can you get us a better quote? And I, I looked at what was going on and what you would have seen is hospital charges. It was five, six people, all hospital incidences, driving all of the cost for the other 350 people on the plan. So it was all wrapped up in just the way these hospitals were charging were charging their plan. And I said to him, I was like, me getting you another quote or a better quote doesn't solve the problem. Maybe I get you a quote that's okay, maybe it's 40 grand less, 50 grand less, 10% less. You'll be right back here the next year because the way you're doing it, not the way they're doing it, but the way the carrier was doing it was broken. Right. There would continue, these people would continue to go to the same hospitals and rack up the same high charges. It took probably 
three months of going back and forth and just edge again, doing the education piece on this is how this works. This is why your claims are the way they are. And this is what we can do to, this is what we can do to fix it. And back in 2014, it was much more gloves off. So you remember now I said, you could, you can rent networks of doctors to where everybody keeps their same doctor and it's very comfortable right. while still doing the, this repricing thing on the back end that didn't exist in 2014. Mm, <laughs> so okay. It was like, hey, we're ripping the Band-Aid off, but there was no like forward-facing network of, of doctors to give everybody their creature comfort. So again, education was key and things have evolved now where you can you can still rent that network. But now we're, we're seven years on now and they pay less now today for medical than they did back in 2013. And the benefits are richer. You're talking about a lot of their employees $20 an hour folks, $25 an hour folks. So the fact that they have no co-pays for office visits to, to you and I, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to an, to an hourly worker, right? Absolutely. Right? Yep. That, they talk about a $25 copay. Okay, that's an hour of work to be able to get rid of those things. No co-pays for prescription drugs. So they're providing a better benefit for 30, 40% less than, than what the market would hold. They've done acquisitions. Or the now the employees that are getting acquired, they're coming over. They're like, "Whoa, <laughs> these benefits are great!" And much less out of their pocket. Again, it was the, there was that initial education struggle piece, but once we got through it, and then now looking back, it's, oh, you can't even imagine doing it another way. So it's been a good long longer term success story for us on the benefits side there. It almost sounds like something like that when you can actually go to your employees and show them that kind of before and after and put it on paper because you can tell them all day long, but it, when they see that $25 copay is, is actually going away and what that does, because for some of those people, that might be their grocery. Do they get groceries or not for the week? Um, but just being able to communicate that in a really positive way, and especially like you said, that now they can keep their doctors because that's the scariest thing of, oh, we're switching insurance, you're going to save money, but now you have to find a new doctor and it's who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, no, ex exactly. And that's and so the way it's evolved now, it's much more user-friendly where we can say, yeah, everybody keeps their their doctors, their pediatricians, their specialists, et cetera. And frankly, the battle's not with them. Doctors are underpaid in a lot of... I know. It's really the institution, the facilities, these, not to sit here and bang on hospitals, but supposedly not-for-profit hospitals, but egregious amounts of money being charged, really tackling that, that piece of it. Yeah. How do risk management strategies vary between small and large manufacturing companies when it comes to self-insurance? Yeah, great question. So it used to be that a lot of these strategies weren't available for smaller companies. Like so many things, it starts in the publicly traded, the Fortune 500s, the larger companies, right? And then thankfully over time, a lot of this, it's trickled down to the middle markets to where even if you're even if you're you know, say 50 employees and above, there's these strategies are, are available. I would say the other thing to look at is just the, so when you go self-insured or you set up a captive, the saving sounds great, but you're also, man, what if something goes wrong? Even if you do all these cool things, a lot of people could get sick, but still gets very expensive. So you're always buying reinsurance, which is mm -hmm. insurance for insurance companies. So I would say a larger company 
if the reinsurance is a little off, that's okay because it's, they can absorb it. It's probably a bigger balance sheet, bigger credit facilities. They could absorb a little adverse deviation. Smaller companies yeah, may be a little bit more sensitive to, to those fluctuations. So just making sure your reinsurance or whatever your, your umbrella or your cat coverage is, is dialed in and that the risk reward trade-off is good, I would say that would be... Yeah, you know, not that it's not important. Generally, it is, but you know, for smaller companies, that would be the not biting off more than you can chew, um, or trying to do too much all at once. Those would be the key things. And what are some of the emerging trends that you foresee in risk management in the near future? I think so. Again, there's a little bit more transparency now in the way we're able to access data about some of this hospital and doctor and the payments that I'm describing. So I think the emerging trend there is going to be towards putting more tools in the broker's hand, the consultant's hand, the risk manager's hands to understand why you're paying what you're paying and not make adjustments just based off what carriers are telling you or spreadsheets, but off your data and saying, oh, okay, we've got this problem here. Let's let's custom our benefits to, to drive the behaviors that we want. And again, being able to do that with some of these, you know, and not even getting into AI, just into some data analytics tools that are out there that can take, again, all those line items of claims and then give you actionable stuff on your screen. I think that's an exciting trend. On the flip side, the trend that's going to be difficult to manage is the prescription drugs side of things. Factors coming out left and right with new drugs, and a lot of them are very effective, but then there's a cost associated with that. So I think that'll continue, and we'll have to develop strategies on how to tackle that, but that's a trend that's emerging and, and won't be going away anytime soon. Yeah, that's for sure. As we start to get to the end of our time together, what advice would you give to business owners and executives in manufacturing who are looking to explore self-insurance through captives? Yeah, first thing is start early, start off cycle. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna explore something new, you want to be able to do that education piece, and you don't want to do it when you've got a renewal date breathing down your neck. Actually. The reason I said this was timely is a majority of insurance renews on January 1st. Mm. A lot of these companies, they've just made their decisions. And then some of them might have been painful, painful decisions. So in Q1, Q2 is actually the best time to get back at it, as painful as that might be. Is that, oh, we just put this to bed. I don't want to visit more with this, but it's actually the best time because now you can figure out what's out there, educate yourself again without the pressure of, oh man, I got to get my employees enrolled. They need their benefits. Do that off, do that education piece off cycle. And then, and then just make sure you've got the right team of advisors. We see a lot of companies, uh, the old, it's the old professional development thing. What got you to here won't get you to there. We've seen, right. we see companies grow and they, they outgrow their advisors. So it might be bringing some other resources to, to help out and be, be open to that. All right. If somebody did have further questions, wanted to learn more about what you do or just continue the conversation, what's a good what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? We've got a bunch of great information on our website, which is www.riskmgmtadvisors.com. All of our contact information is also right there. And then we have a ton of great information on the Risk Management Advisors YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and then all the applicable socials. All right, Jared, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. 
It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.